Hey guys, I'm David. Hello, I'm Gia. Buonanotte. Buonanotte. We... I was trying to say Merry Christmas in Italian because it's Christmas in July. Hey, there we and, go. Wait, oh, what a but night in July. Bon, buona Christmas. No, that, it's no? Buon Natale. Oh, That's Buon Natale. It. What, yeah. Tale is Christmas? See? Yes. Okay, well, you know what? There, we have... Okay, before we get into all that, um, <laughs> this is the Silhouettes JB podcast. This is the deepest dive into Jersey Boys you've ever seen. We're covering the movie. We're covering the stage show. Everything, the moon and the stars all rolled into one. Yes, and that is a quote from the movie, if you do not know that. Yes, you it's know, also the music, know. it's the script, it's the technical aspects of the show, Italian-American culture, and the overall impact and phenomenon of this show over the past 15 years. We're going to be having uh, guests from the the show from the stage production when it's been on Broadway tour um it's off Broadway right now in world stages we got some people over there that we're in touch with and you know people like me and Gia who love the show who love Jersey Boys who love talking about it um and we we're just gonna talk and we're gonna vibe and you know it's gonna be chill yeah, and work hard, everything follows. So we're working really hard to make this a wonderful, compelling show for you. So, of course, please let us know what you think. If you have any ideas for us, this is a show for you. So let us know how we can serve you. Um, yeah. But we actually have a really fun segment to start off today's episode. I already kind of started it. Because I, I opened with the Merry Christmas in Italian. But we try to have our Italian word or phrase of the day um, as a quote from the show or the movie or just a fun one that we find that could be interesting. So, David, do you want to tell our lovely listeners what our Italian phrase today is? The Italian phrase for today is from the movie, from the Jersey Boys movie. We got... Renee Marino, she was playing Mary Delgado. And um, Frankie, they were singing um, Sunday Kind of Love. And um, if you know the movie, this is one of my favorite scenes. So she's sitting there at the bar with her friend. And um, he, he that was her says, friend with the Okay, guard. like a, a male friend. Someone, in a quotes. date. Okay, yeah, quotes. He's a friend. He and was a guy keeping watch at the bar because Tommy oh. DeVito just got out of jail. It was a whole thing. That's how I interpreted the situation. Oh. And, oh, yeah. Yeah. Typical Monday for these people. Okay. So, gotcha. Yeah. So a typical. So watching over and um, he says, let's get out of here. And she says, Coleon, Coleon. Coleon, I'm listening. I'm listening. He's listening to Frankie with his beautiful falsetto Frankie voice. Francis Castelluccio. Yeah, Frankie. So, well, she, she goes for Tommy, though, because it's his welcoming back party. Um, but yeah, the, so the phrase is cuyo colions. Now, here's the thing. Technically, the term would be like colioni because that is the plural of the word colion, which means testicles. So she's saying cuyo balls, you prick. Cool your Basically, balls. get the fuck out. Get out of my face. I won't listen to the music. Done. Fucking listening. Fucking listening to the song, man. And then my favorite yeah. part, my favorite part right after. So 
after they finish singing, Tommy goes up to this guy who's like a bouncer. He's like, that Stugatz by the bar. Get him out Get of here. Get rid of him. Get rid <laughs> of him. And the guy comes up and he says, hey, fella, it's bedtime. And he asks him, who are you? I'm Mother Goose. Mother Goose. <laughs> And it's, it's so funny because my mom, she has these Mother Goose glasses that she wears every night, like her reading glasses. Yeah, also to quote my cousin Vinny, they're reading glasses. And it's just so funny. So, yeah, it's every. So that's a recurring line David and I have. Um, so it's Cooley Coolions and a Mother Goose. A mother Goose. Yeah. So that's Classic. your Italiano word of the day. You have to put your fingers, your 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 thumb and your index finger together and you got to shake them up and down when you're talking like this. It's like your index. It's your middle finger. I think it's all three. The middle finger, the index, it's, and the they're thumb. They're all together, but it has to, it, your thumb's got to be like dead See, center. Jew, Jews do that too. Like, mm-hmm. what do you I You guys keep, do the index finger. What do you I have keep, a little hole there. Yeah. What do I keep saying? You know, Italians and Jews, very similar. You know what they say? Same corporation, different division. What are you going to do? Different division. But I do want to read the Urban Dictionary definition. So, Please. Italian slang for testes, plural is colione, used to actually mean testes or to say that someone is an idiot, a prick, or to manifest annoyance. So it's like, Un in a kick in the balls, or say un coleon, you're a prick, you're so stupid, stuff like that. Which is, or it's like, don't bother me. Which I'm gonna, I ha- we have, we use it more in different, uh, different aspects. So if you find yourself using this phrase this week or ever, please let us know. Yeah. There you have it. Um, straight from the. The horse's mouth. Um, I was trying to think of an Italian thing to go there, but as you can tell, I'm not Italian. She's Italian. I am Italian by um, association. Association. And I'm Jewish by I'm Jewish by association, so it all works out. One hundred percent. Yeah. So why don't we um, why don't we get into what today's episode is all about? Yeah. So. We have a wonderful guest on today. He is actually David's best friend, and I'm very thankful to know him. And hopefully, I'll get to get to I'll get to know him more tonight. Um, but yeah, so basically, today is focusing on um, an audience perspective of the show and the movie, and different opinions we have because we all differ drastically on the differences between the show and the movie. So I'm very excited to talk about it. This is the real deep dive that we're interested in and we think that are uh, hopefully you guys will be interested in too so david please introduce your bff my bff um we got lucas luna on the call um i met him in the fall of 27 in the 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 interval um no january 2018 that's when it was january 28 i i don't know in the spring semester. In the spring semester. In the semester. Tommy DeVito season of college. Hey. Manja Manja. We were auditioning for... In- manja Manja? <laughs> Eat now? No, I want some fucking food. I'm hungry. We're Tom- filming this at like 9.50 p.m. Frankie No Manja. Frankie No Manja. There you go. Anyway, continue. Um, we were both auditioning for um, a production of In the Heights at 
Rutgers Newark slash NJIT. And um, he got the role of Usnavi. Uh, we met uh, we met on the first day of auditions. Um, and we both, in that first day, realized that we both love Jersey Boys. Um, and we both have a lot of things in common. We both love musicals. Um, and he, so he got the part of Usnavi in the Heights. I was playing the Piragua guy. So we had direct interactions on stage together. Um, we did uh, a few shows together at school. Um, he's he. So what's amazing about Lucas is that you know people can be into theater, but they can do other things. Like you know, theater is just so accessible and so wonderful. Like so, Lucas um, was a STEM. Uh, STEM major in in college. He was um, he went to uh, he was on the pre med track at the Rutgers Medical School, and he had you know he he loved theater um, and music. Um, he just auditioned for the show, and it was that that was that. I mean, he uh, it it was, it, and we we did a few more shows together. We just did the Drowsy Chaperone. Um, right before we were able to get the show in, right before uh, COVID closed everything down, we were very lucky about that. Um, he lives in the fifties. Um, he loves the doo-wop music. He loves the music that Jersey Boys Im- immerses himself in. Um, and he—he's a really great guy. He's—he's he's super humble. He's generous. And he he really became one of he really became my best friend over the last three years. I'm grateful to know him. He knows everything about Jersey Boys. He saw it saw it four times on Broadway. Four, yeah, that's right. Four times. Um, we've seen it twice together at New World Stages. One of those times with Gia. Um, he's wonderful. I I can talk and talk and talk about him. But why don't I uh, let him talk about himself? Um, <laughs> he, uh, we just graduated Rutgers Newark together. Um, yeah, big time. Woo! Class of COVID nineteen. Class of COVID nineteen. <laughs> um, so welcome. Thank you so much for being on here, man. Thank Woo! you guys. Thanks, Thank you guys for having me. I'm very, I'm very thankful that I get to be the first person not in the show to be featured on the podcast. You know, um, the Lunas are the best. Lucas Luna, the Luna family. They're... Don't believe him. We're okay. We're all right. <laughs> Lucas Moon. Yep. Lucas yep. Moon. So... La Bella Luna. La Bella Luna. Yep. There you go. So, um, Lucas. Yes. Um, how did you get into Jersey Boys? Okay, let me take you back to 2011. I was in my freshman year of high school. Um, to give backtrack, I guess in high school is the time you find yourself or whatever, but, um, I didn't have a good grasp on who I was as a person yet. You know, I'm still figuring things out. You know, I just went to public high school from private Christian school for all of my elementary years. So it was a whole world of difference. So I was feeling a lot of who am I, who am I in this place, that sort of thing. But I had always known that I'd never really, I never really jived with, I guess, the music that all of my peers were listening to. I didn't really know what I had liked at that point, but I knew it wasn't what was being released currently. 
So um, I was, I wasn't introduced to musicals. I, I mean, everyone knows Grease. Who doesn't know Grease? Mm-hmm. So uh, I really enjoyed the music of Grease, and I really enjoyed the movie. So one day during my freshman year of high school, I was watching Grease on YouTube. I was bootlegging it, whatever. And um, I wanted to watch other movies that were in that time period. So I looked it up online, and I saw a movie called The Wanderers, which is, you know, 1960s Bronx. Um with uh, uh, an Italian American gang called the Wanderers, and you know there there was different different gangs of you know different ethnicities and whatnot. Um, so I I saw it was something right up my alley. So I was like, you know what? I'll give this a watch. I was sitting in my basement. Um, the movie opens up with the main character and his girlfriend, and then when the title comes up, it's actually. Um, Walk Like a Man by the Four Seasons. So, right into Frankie's falsetto. I don't know if it hit me there or if it hit me after, but something about that that music that was playing immediately gravitated me and immediately pulled me right into the movie's setting. And I'll never forget that there was um, the gang, the Wanderers, are going to meet up with different gangs to try to form sort of like a team because they were going to fight um, another gang and they have this they have this scene in an alley where they're whistling and all of their wanderers are coming out of their stoops and out of their um their fire escapes to come join the gang as they go and they were playing the wanderer by dion and the belmonts of course and i loved that song originally hearing it but i wanted to know okay let me find that song so i went onto the wikipedia and I found the soundtrack. And for some reason, Walk Like a Man was the song I thought that it was. I, oh. didn't, I don't know why I thought The Wanderer was uh, Walk Like a Man. But I guess it was like they were in an alley, whatever. It just made sense in my brain. So I looked up Walk Like a Man. First thing that comes up is the Four Seasons song. I listened to that song and I said, I need to hear more of whatever this band is. Because something about it just connected with me and i don't know what it was but it told me i wanted i wanted to hear more immediately then i hear well sherry i was looking for four season stuff at that point and then sherry was the next song i heard drinking game whenever we mention one of the big three take a shot take a Done. shot <laughs> i have water for those who don't do know it. the big three i'll be right back i'll go get my stash <laughs> the big three is sherry uh big girls don't cry walk like a man if you know you know if you know, you know. So, um, I listened to Walk Like a Man. Then I listened to Sherry. Sherry's my favorite song of all time, by the way. And then I listened to Big Girls Don't Cry. And it was just the sound that, you know, they talk about in the show. First time you make that sound. Our sound. Our sound. I was, I said, oh my God, I just love whatever I'm hearing right now. And it's Everything something dropped I, away for you. Exactly. I had never heard something like that at that point. But then I started recognizing. I said, wait, I remember this from Dirty Dancing. Big Girls Don't Cry, you know, <laughs> and Sherry is Sherry is also in one in the Wanderers as well. So it just started, come, you know, formulating. I was like, oh, my goodness, I've heard this music all my life, especially from my, you know, my older uncles who grew up with this music as it was releasing. So I came upstairs after watching the movie and listening to the music. I was laying on my couch and I was on I think I was listening to Sherry. 
when on the YouTube recommended, it recommended Jersey Boys and it said, uh, Sherry, Big Girls Don't Cry and Walk Like a Man. And I was completely unaware to anything related to musical theater. I'd never been to a Broadway show. I've never been in a musical in my life at that point. Didn't know anything about it. So I said, what's this? I thought it was a cover band. So I open up the link and it starts off with uh, the Four Seasons in black and white singing Ragdoll. And then um, it it pops up. The line, the, the text on the box as it faded in said, um, in, nine, in 1962, four guys from Belleville, New Jersey uh, came up from rags and became a world sensation. And I said, excuse me? Belleville. Belleville, New Jersey. I live in Belleville, New Jersey. My entire life, I grew up Tommy at this DeVito place. Drive. Do you really? I live in Belleville. Yeah. I had no idea. I, I visited there. I probably drove by your house. You probably did. That's so cool. So I said, "Wait, this is what is it about Belleville, New Jersey that is connected to the show?" Boom. Went to the Wikipedia, found out that Tommy DeVito is from Belleville, New Jersey, and this is where the start of the story takes place. So I don't know. I think in hindsight, it was that connection of where I'm growing, where I grew up is where this story takes place. That also makes me, I guess, more connected to the story in general. Because the next day, um, Tommy DeVito has a plaque as a graduate of my high school in the school. I've taken David um, mm-hmm. to see it. I have to see this. And I saw it the next day and my mind was like blown because I was like, wait, these are real people that that have have been where I've where I've been all my life. So then uh backing uh, backtrack to the uh the couch when I saw what Jersey Boys was I said what is this? And then after it says in Belleville New Jer- in in Belleville New Jersey 1962 or whatever. Then uh four guys start singing uh the big 3. I guess it's like a promotional thing. Who and was it? It was Do you um it was the Australian cast with uh Bobby Fox as Frankie Valley. That was the first person I ever heard. And um, I said, this is pretty cool. I wonder what this is. And then, you know, at the end, it's, it says it's a Broadway musical. And I said, wow, they have a musical about these people? And then I clicked on on another video, and it was another cast. And I was, you know, me, not knowing anything, I was like, wait, what's going on over here? So since my interest was sparked, I immediately went online to the website. And I saw that at the time, there was like, there was like seven companies open. And it just blew my mind because I said, wait, 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 excuse me, what is this? So started reading, boom, they're on Broadway. Okay, then they were on a national tour. Then they were in Chicago and in Vegas and in London. And I think Australia was still open at the time. So then me not knowing anything, I started looking at cast lists and I said, well, okay, these are all different people. And then I started read. I didn't know anything about, you know, covers or understudies. And then I had started reading YouTube comments about, Oh, this is an understudy. This is an, I said, okay, what's an understudy? I had to go look that up. So my introduction to musical theater was Jersey Boys. And that like really sparked, like I guess, a big journey about what I am on right now, I guess. So um, that year, my freshman year, I listened to three songs. Sherry, Big Girls Don't Cry, and Walk Like a Man. My entire freshman year. Those were the drink, only three drink, songs. Drink. Lucas, you are after my own heart. Seriously, we have such a similar story. It's blowing my mind too. I had no I, I, for context, I met you in January. You know, I, 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 I had no idea. Actually, February. 
right at the beginning of February we went. I think it was the fifth. January thirty first. No way, really? Yeah. yeah. Okay. That's when we went yeah. to go see the show. But I mean, it was the end of January, beginning of February, so it's the same. But still, yeah. Thing. Well, either way, I yeah. met you that night. We sat front row, and we like we back back. We got to go on the stage and backstage oh of the show. Oh my god! Wasn't Aaron, that amazing? Yes. So the, Aaron De Jesus, who was our wonderful first guest on our show, uh, he met up with us afterwards, and he showed us around, and. It was it was the best day, and I never knew this about you. So this is blowing my mind. Um, yeah. I actually what you didn't said know about the extent the of the story like that. I, well, I knew a yeah. little bit. I, of I it. guess I never really tell people like us who was really interested in how I got into Jersey Boys. No, well, this is but here's the thing, because you and I are both so similar, especially with like how we got into musical theater. This was absolutely one of like the show that I saw. Mm-hmm. Um, I talked about my introduction to the show last week, but. When you said how like those were the only songs that you listened to, how you really didn't like resonate with the music that was coming out at the time, same here. Like I, all I listened to were these songs, and especially and David and I had the same thing. Once we saw it, that's all we listened to for a year. Yep. And even even longer than that for me. Like th- that's that's what connects us big time, and that's so cool. And with what you mentioned about the Wanderers. This is a, a bit of a pivot, but um, so I love going to Arthur Avenue in the Bronx. Mm-hmm. Have you been? I've been there one oh. time. Yeah. Oh, my God. I, I can't wait to go back. I've been there three times. David, you have to go too. it's okay. the best food. The a cafe is La Luna. Like this is totally, you know, hey. I love to go. and they have a street, you know, like for Dion and the Belmonts. Um, and in every single Italian movie show like the sopranos like especially yeah opening scene of the sopranos you have i wonder why by dean on the belmont yeah like that's like that's that sets the tone for everything and i feel like this music set the tone for us for not only our musical theater love and careers but our like just the tone of our lives seriously is this stuff and it's so cool and um also in theater like especially high school theater like that is the land or it's the island of misfit toys as my teacher always said to to us and i think it gets so cool like that all of us are kind of in that same boat yeah and well so question after you discovered that these were belleville boys just Mm -hmm. like you um where is this the street that's named after tommy devito it's in the silver lake i don't live near it uh but i have some family that lives near it um he lives in that street is in silver lake on belmont avenue that's belmont avenue is the actual street and then tommy devito drive is named after him unbelievable Mm -hmm. so you can't write this stuff and it's it's so wonderful that that's your hometown yeah right like david and i don't have that we we moved there so we could be around it. It's it's kind of like like New Jersey New Yorker privilege in a it's way. So I hate funny. to say that, but like, it's so true. P- yeah, I, I it's like the, this whole thing. Like sometimes, it, I, I I meet people who are in the same boat as Lucas, who are from New Jersey, who are from New York, and they're like. Well, I mean, I, so, do, I mean, have you gone to see Jersey Boys? Ah, oh, we'll go see it another time. You know, yeah. I, I, uh, I just saw Frankie, uh, I just saw Frankie at a party last week. You know, it's whatever. You know, it's so, but yeah, people like, yeah, I like, see Tommy and Joe Pesci every September at that festival. What's the festival that happens in September? The, uh, the Cherry Blossom. The Cherry Blossom Festival. Um, okay. 
my I had two roommates in my first year at Rutgers. Um, they were twins. They played baseball for Rutgers Newark, and they're good family friends with Joe Pesci. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, know, one of my fun. one of my closest friends go when I was in high school. His father uh, was really good friends with Tommy DeVito. And every now and again, you can catch him at a certain uh, bakery. I won't say the name because for whatever. But uh, every now and again, you can go and you might run into him sitting there with just his friends. It's still and in the neighborhood. And that bakery has killer cannolis. You know, I, I remember in the movie um, when I, I, you know, I, I think I could safely assume that most people who are listening to this have seen the movie, you know, but, um, there's, so there's a scene towards the end where Frankie is meeting his daughter, Francine in the restaurant, in the cafe, whatever it is. And he's just sitting there, you know, and he's this big star at this point. And you know, he's just sitting in the restaurant and it's like, I feel like these guys, they're just like, uh, yeah, it's cool. I'm Frankie Valley. It's whatever, yeah. you know. They're, they're still not, just people. They're still you know, just regular lives that still problems. Just obviously from the show, you know, they had problems just as much as we do. And stardom right. sure. doesn't. Yeah, except stardom. Like you, you sell a million records, you see how you handle exactly. it. Exactly. So the they're very different problems. Nonetheless, still have it. That's so cool. Yeah. Well, well, in the movie, like I, I think at that point when he went to go pick up Francine, she was still in the city. But either way, you know, if you're in a city, if you're right? In Jersey, exactly. Whether you're yeah. right, it exactly. I'd argue you'd get more recognized in the city than in New Jersey. Same. Yeah, they won't care in Jersey. It's just so cool. Yeah. I love this. Thank you so much for sharing your story. Like, yeah, I, I, that's... I bet there's a lot of people out there who have the same thing. Mm-hmm. Or yeah, it's it's really. It's really beautiful, and it's really just, yeah. So, um, yeah, but like he went to your high school. You can't. Be yeah. That. So, so technically, the high school we go to, well, the high school that's there now, um, isn't the actual high school as it was back in like the nineteen tens to nineteen fifties. Oh, it was. I thought I thought it would be the same. No, it's actually. I won't give the actual place, but you've you've crossed it. It's near where I am. Very near where I am, so those are the act that the actual place. But since the high school is where it is now, that's where his plaque is. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. It's a Very nice cool. plaque. Yeah, it is. It's, it's... <laughs> it's a nice plaque. It's so surreal yeah, sometimes. Christian, when you're just Christian there. Hoff really, really <laughs> looks like him. He really does, right? When he was younger. <laughs> Yeah, when he was younger, there's 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 a joke in there somewhere. There's like a funny thing. Um, but let's let's dive into. There's so much to think about. Um, well, first things first. We actually had a fun segment idea where um, we all wanted to take a quiz to see which Jersey Boys character we are. It's on quotev.com. You can find it. Um, we'll post it in our bio on Instagram as well. And um, we so we actually have. Another guest joining us today too. Ooh la he, la. Ooh la la. He is um say Swarela. He <laughs> he's our audio producer. He's wonderful. And he took the quiz too. And then um Lucas and Kanan both had the same result. 
And David is making strange hand gestures right now. Always, I don't know what he's Always doing. Always making strange hand gestures. That's that's the trademark. And you know, if you ever get to see a video of this, you'll be able to see those hand gestures. You should be so lucky. <laughs> Pretty it's because I made him nervous. And he enters. Right. And Here's Kanan Greer, everybody. Greer. He's our producer. Um, he's a good friend. Um, I've known him for... I'm Mother Goose. Yeah, he's Mother <laughs> Goose. Now we're talking. Um, I've known him for a very long time. And um, what, like... I th- seven or eight years at this point. I think we met in like 12 or 13. Listen, listen, listen. Don't you age hey, me. Hey, you you okay, look you look good, girl. You look good. That's cuz black don't crack and beige don't age. <laughs> I find that very strange, but it's okay. Um and um so we had him take the quiz. So he's um he's an audio engineer. He's a brilliant musician. Um he's a wonderful Beautiful person, singer. beautiful singer. He sang with some top gospel artists. Uh, he sang with some top gospel artists in the country, um, and uh, he's, he's a composer. Yeah, he the, he did the our intro, intro music. That was all him. The ad music, all him. He's he's great. Um, so we had him take the quiz, and um, I guess we shall reveal who we got, right? Yes. We should do that. Um, so I got Frankie. It was like. As did I. So it was we have like, a total split here. So David and I both got Frankie, and Lucas and Kanan got taught me. Now, my prediction, Lucas, knowing you for a very short amount of time, I feel like, like, did you, like, did you only pick like quintessential Tommy answers just because you wanted to get Tommy, or are you, are you like him? Oh no, I didn't. I, I wanted. I answered honestly when I was taking the quiz um, yesterday. Um, and I guess it just happened to line up. I kind of, I knew that with the way I was answering the questions that I was going to get it based on, you know, the, the characters in the show, but, uh, it was completely honest. I wasn't trying to get him because I'd really want to see what, what kind of season I was or who I, what season I'd be. The questions were very contrived. Oh yeah, <laughs> if for you, sure. If you read some of the questions, it's like, "What's your favorite season?" <laughs> and the answers were like, "Spring." I don't like it being too cold, and it's really pretty. Hmm. If you take me out, maybe we'll talk. And then another question was like, um, another question was like, "You'll uh, you find someone in the group lost quite a bit of money. What do you do?" So they're they're clearly taking like situations from the show and like it's really it's yeah, if you mm-hmm. know you know. It's yeah. really funny. They're the question I was I was really laughing at some of these questions. Um but it's I think it's I think it's really funny that both me and Gia got Frankie and both Kanan and Lucas got Tommy. Yeah. Well let's let's read the descriptions according to whoever made this quiz. Very hilarious. Shout so, out Frankie. Who, yes. If you if you're you if you're so... listening to this and you made this quiz, hit us Thank up you. at, at silhouettesjbpodcast underscore on Instagram. Let us know. Yeah, we'd love to meet you. So here's the description for Frankie. You are so kawaii. You are small. You must be protected. You are the talented lead singer of the Four Seasons who changed the face of the the music industry in the 60s. Starting from humble beginnings in Belleville, New Jersey, you reached your way to the top. 
So, David, do you think we have to be protected? Wait a minute. I'm still stuck on the fact that whoever made this called Frankie Valley Kawaii. Kawaii. <laughs> and you know what? That's such a sophisticated word. And, you know, Frank, in, 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 everyone's, in everyone's narration in the show, because each season picks, um, each, each season has a section of the show that they narrate, Frankie at one point, he says, um, he says everything's copacetic. No, no one was talking with that kind of vocabulary throughout the show. Maybe Bob sometimes, but Frankie's you know, everything. Ancillary rights. Yeah. So, but everything's copacetic. Talking about how everything's good, you know, everything seems to be going fine. Right. Um, they just th- they so sprinkle kawaii. in all these he's, funny he's kawaii. words. <laughs> it's it's so yeah, it's so bizarre how they do that. But it's it's laughable, sadly, you know, because that's not how they grew up like you don't say copacetic and if you do say it it's because you probably saw it on tv one time it's like oh fuck that's a cool word i'm gonna use that like that it's just recycled so you use words like that when you want to be a smart ass oh 100 percent. hey sing the song smart ass <laughs> i have to say that reminds me of legally blonde it's like it's like oh, i'm taking the dog dumbass <laughs> same thing <laughs> <laughs> legally blonde starring andy carl Yes. Andy Carl, yes, always, was also always bring it back. Tommy DeVito. There we go. Yeah, so that's Frankie. Um, oh, please let me read it. Please, go for it. Okay, I had to screenshot this. Let me put on my glasses and my sexy NPR voice. Okay. It says, you sexy, you bad, you gangster with a baby face. You are the leader of the group who pushed the Four Seasons to the top. You were the lead guitarist. Ooh. Although you were from the old neighborhood of JC, you pulled your way through. Let me just say, I'm not from Jersey. Um, and thank God for that, honestly. <gasps> oh, no, no, no. Miami, we don't, we don't pull that better. shit over we here. We get a we bad name. We're one of the best places to live in the country. You think you, sure. you, think you get a bad name? Florida. I literally Hi. said it's no better. I live in Miami. Somebody asked me what it means once. I said it means ocean trash because that's what you smell on either side of the street. One side is ocean. The other side is trash. So it doesn't make that much of a difference, whether it's Jersey or South Florida. So funny. I'm not a Miami fan. I love New Jersey. I love New Jersey. It's very pretty. New Jersey. New Jersey. Yeah. So you both. You sexy. You bet. That's that's you. Way gangster with a baby face. (laughs) With a baby face. If Tommy was a TikTok TikTok dance, he would be I'm a savage. Yeah. Classy, Classic bougie bitch. Ratchet. Yeah. <laughs> Sassy, moody, nasty. <laughs> Acting, Acting stupid. stupid. What's happening? What was Carol Baskin. <laughs> Native son. Native son. That's so funny. Yeah. Okay. So that was our fun um, quiz for the day. So if you guys want to take it, let us know. Um, so huge pivot. So we're going to talk about the differences between the movie and the show. Now there are more than several. Um, but, um, so Lucas argues that some jokes did not land in the movie, but David and I argue that there are so many jokes that are better in the movie. Um, thanks to Vincent Piazza, Vincent Piazza, because, and because of the fact that they were able to improv, they talked about this in interviews that they were 
they would improvise the scenes before that they, before they would film them, so they could really get into that that culture, that family relationship with each other. You know, like the perfect example is I ain't like. Your little brother. I ain't your little uh, yeah, and it's like um no so when they come in and like, you know you saying good tonight, uh good not great, and um and that's then such he's a like, Tommy line though right I know yeah. it was improv but that is such a Tommy line to say and the 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 waiting that Vincent like the the timing that Vincent Piazza has with his lines is so key to making that to giving you that Tommy feel and um. What's a what's another one? Another oh oh when when he meets Norm Waxman at the pier, yeah, and couldn't find like, parking for my canoe. Yeah, Tommy, just total smartass line, and it's it's the best. I use it all the time. There is a National Canoe Day, and I have to post a picture with that caption every year. I can't Why tell you what day no it is I, because don't worry about it. I got my. Yeah, don't got don't my, worry uh, about it. Yeah, forget about it. She'll handle it. <laughs> I don't know. I found out one day, and I'm like, oh my god, this is the perfect opportunity for uh, for the quote. So I, I will. I will admit that one thing that didn't transfer over for me well was the beginning. You know, Can, he just yeah, starts randomly. I, I watched it today, just to I guess in preparation for this. And so, have you guys seen a Bronx Tale the movie? I only saw the show. I fell asleep. Oops. Wait, you haven't seen the movie? All right, leave the podcast right now and go watch it. No, I'm joking. Stay. Chess commentary. But it begins with a voiceover, and it has, it's like a dark, it's it's the night, it's dark, and you hear four guys singing um, a cappella doo-wop right on the corner. I would have loved it if they would have at least started the way the show starts with at least silhouettes. You didn't have to put Seiswari Law there but if it would have been them on the corner like let's say they're they're under a street light and they're on a corner and they're singing he introduces the camera and then goes back to singing i think that would have been better ah. than him just walking down down the so street you wanted the end you wanted the curtain call at the end of the movie at the beginning sort of just like in that way almost hi so i agree with you but so here's here's where here's where that gets tricky because the movie with tommy that's later, right? Because let's 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 think about this. Because in the show, when does Tommy start speaking? Tommy starts speaking. He's in kind of like a a limbo, a limbo area, right? He's not in. When does it? When does the show start? Nineteen fifty what? Fifty like it's early, like fifty four. Right? Yeah, mid to late fifties. So, but Tommy is neither in the future nor in the past because he looks how he looks in the beginning, but he's telling you, I'm the one, I, if you want to, you want to begin at the beginning, I'm the one you want to talk to. So you have to figure out where Tommy is when he's starting, right? So we, you can totally, the way I would, and I just thought about this right now, the way I would have done it if I was Clint Eastwood then I would have, I would have, had Tommy walk past, and they 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 did this kind of when they were at the Brill Building, when they were going up. You know how when 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 Frankie and Bob walk into the Brill Building, they go up, and you can see them when, going through the, the different the yeah. different songs. They had the backup sessions, right? And you you hear you hear for a se- you hear the different things that people are singing, and you hear for a second an angel cried. Mm-hmm. Um, so what they could have done is they could have had Tommy walk past 
four guys singing under a street lamp. Mm-hmm. Right? That that could have been that little yeah, homage. So you wanted him more as like a third person limited or an omniscient point of view. Because that sounds like what you guys are saying. Because that's what he is in the show. Um, and he, it's a very still... strange... It was you're breaking the fourth wall, but you guys bring up a great point. It's like, so where is he in time at the beginning of the show? Because it's in between, of course, like the present... You know, it's 2000, say, story law, and then it goes in right before silhouettes. So it's a really cool, um, like, angel kind of feeling, and th- which they brings started, the magic to it. They started the monologue at a really weird place. They just Ew. dived right in. They, they just that's dove right why into I. It. It would have been hard to open up without, say, Soiree Law because then you're not really referencing anything. So mm-hmm. you just kind of begin the story with Tommy. Okay. And so if let's... you're right, if you're not going back in time because the way it happens in the show is he immediately refers to what just happened. So you mm-hmm. already know he's in – I don't know what it's – when it's called in theater when they already know. Is it an omniscient character? Well, it's well, – are you talking about breaking the fourth wall? Yeah, when he breaks or... the first wall in his opening monologue – He's already stated, you know, we put Jersey on the map. That's our song. So he already knows everything that's happened. Correct? Or am I not remembering Correct. this correct? Oh, yeah. So that if that's it's not true. happening in the movie, you'd have to tweak the opening monologue. So it's he only knows what he knows at that point. But so but what look what looks like happened, Rick Ellis, who he did, did Mar- Marshall Brick Marshall Brickman wrote the screenplay also. Right. Or it was them. Two? They both did. Yeah. They right. Both did, so yeah. the geniuses. Yeah, Rick Ellis, Marshall Brickman, who wrote the the book for the musical, also wrote the screenplay. So it starts off, the musical starts off, that's our song, Oh, What a Night, C'est Soiree La, French. Number one in Paris, 2000, 10 weeks. Not bad for a song from 30 years ago. Um, and they go, you're right, they're, in, they're referencing what happened. So, but I'm getting ahead of myself. You want to begin at the beginning? So I feel like maybe... They could have revised a little bit of the opening of that monologue and then segue in. Oh, yeah. I'm getting well, ahead of myself. What I think myself. Clint probably thought was enough was that, you know, they played Oh, What a Night instrumental when they had the opening right. credits up. And then he just says, you want to hear the real story? I'm the one you want to talk to, Tommy DeVito. Like, I felt like, yes, it does. It could seem abrupt, but it was also enough because you're opening with the overture of their most famous song. So... It, it, it works, but I definitely see yeah. the. He also the he also there. references. Um, they even have a street named after me, so he yeah. he somewhat already knows what already happened. So I, I feel like they could have done a little bit better with just the abrupt into it, whatever. I also feel like they put silhouettes in a root in a weird spot in the movie, mm. and they switched it with um, right. They totally right. They yeah. put it. Mm-hmm. Hey, uh, hey, Frankie, what's with the concert? You know, I they, love that line. What's what's the high line? Silhouettes. You know, they they did put it. They wanted to have it in there because that's such an iconic. Silhouettes at that point, even in the movie, hadn't even released yet. Right. Because the movie right. begins in like fifty two. That's what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? I know. Well, they like, definitely did have a lot of they, discrepancies. They had to take. And, you know, they had to take some right. sort of liberty. They, they, to, they're, they're, yeah. There's liberties all over the show. All Especially over the show, all over the movie. Oh, yeah. Well, what always sticks out to me is the Andy Warhol painting on the Park Avenue party with Bob Crew. That painting did not come out in 1959. It yeah. had to be mid to late 60s. So that always that, right, that, Clint, it's just such an easy catch. Well, I mean, mm-hmm. you, Clint Eastwood directed a musical. That is not a sentence I would have thought. 
There's a lot of sentences in this lifetime I didn't think would be, you know, strung together in a sentence <laughs> as a fact. And Clint Eastwood, Clint, ooh, I almost messed up his name. Clint Eastwood directing the musical Jersey Boys just sounds like the project of a fanboy. Like, it's not in his regular filmography. But, and so that could definitely account for, especially because he was also one of the producers, so it's sort of what Clint says goes. So if he showed up to I like this. Keep it this way. And cut that, it doesn't make sense. You know, it's not really, it's not, it's not really a matter of, he's looking at it from a theatrical perspective of how to maintain the narrative that's expressed on stage. It's more like Clint Eastwood, the fanboy. Well, I like Jersey Boys. Let's make it a movie. I you know, totally more see what you're saying. Movie. And I, I agree. That's why I never look at the movie as a comparison. That, that's why I like, I like talking about the comparisons between the movie and the show. But I never look at it as, as I look at it as two different entities because I, absolutely I, don't, yeah. I don't think it's I don't think it's a musical to begin with. No, it's not. I I understand. I it's a play. That. First of all, it's not a jukebox musical. For all y'all who think, first of all, jukebox musical the definition of a jukebox musical is um, a musical with a plot strung around you know songs that were already written like. Like Mamma Mia was strung around ABBA songs, um, Saturday Moulin Night Rouge. Fever, right? Well, I well I Jagged like Jagged Little Pill Rouge. actually is a jukebox yep. musical. Jagged Little Pill mm-hmm. is a jukebox musical, but I like Moulin Rouge is different, and I've talked about this with Kanan before, um, because I, I showed him Moulin Rouge the first time. Yeah, the movie, the movie is fantastic. The show no, we like yeah. Moulin. I hate the show. I hate the show. Y'all can sue me, but they <laughs> messed up. They did. Time. They should have waited for me to become. A big macha in this theater world, and uh, oh, that's your Yiddish yes. word of the day, big macher. A macher is someone who's yeah. uh, is the big, uh, he's the big, he's big man, big man in, in town. Right. So we, me and Kanan had this whole plan of how we were going to put Moulin Rouge on Broadway, but what we love about the show, what we, and they ignored yeah. us. Yeah, <laughs> what we lo- they didn't return our phone calls. <laughs> it's, they're they like left us on red. Left us on red. Yeah. <laughs> well, what we love about Moulin Rouge is that. It's not tied to any one band. It's not tied to any. They picked. They hand chose what they wanted. So that that's why I like Moulin Rouge better than the other jukebox musicals. But Jersey Boys, like Beautiful, the Carol King musical, like um, uh, uh, Donna Summer, Ain't Too Proud, mm-hmm. Summer Ain't Too Proud, uh, same creative team as Jersey Boys. Um, those are bio musicals. Um, those are musicals about a band, and a lot, uh, uh, most of, most of most of the time, the songs will be in real time as they're being written or as they're being performed, with some liberties, of course. But Jersey Boys, what's what's different about Jersey Boys is that good government script, Marshall government Brickman, script. good government script <laughs> that they were handed, Marshall Brickman and Rick Ellis on a silver platter, and a, didn't even bat an eye. You know, they crafted this beautiful thing that it really, in my opinion, it really is a play with music about Frankie Valli and the Four Seasons. None of the like Lady Day at Emerson's Bar. And exactly, it's, 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 a, it's a play. And it's Audra McDonald. Dramatic. It's heavily dramatic. Like it could survive as a, if we never heard a single Frankie Valli and the Four Seasons song in the course of the structure, we would still get a cohesive story of. The story of Frankie Valley and the fa- Frankie Valley and the Four Seasons. God, I can't talk tonight because the play is so good. Because right, the play is so good, and 
Um, um, what was I saying? Play with music, and it was well, really just Clint Eastwood's take on it. Right. So the movie is it's two it's two different entities: the movie and the musical. And the movie did did what it did its job, and they they even have they even have, you know. Th- uh, the biggest thing that I always talk about is that horn section in Can't Take My Eyes Off of You. They really... Unbelievably beautiful. They, I mean, first of all, that whole reveal when they pull the curtain away and they reveal this whole big band section of trombones, trumpets, reeds, all of it, playing these new horn lines that Steve Orich um, wrote. You know, he's the orchestrator. Um, And... It, it it that you see that wouldn't work in the show either because the reveal of the horns in the show is different. You know they're walking onto the catwalk and it's it's really smooth. But Steve Orich knew that this was gonna be a big reveal, so and he followed suit with that horn line and that and with the other horn line that's playing in counterpoint with it. Um, wonderful. So they're two completely different entities. But you can, I think you can still talk talk about, you can still talk about the comparisons between the two. That's mm-hmm. the way I see it. I agree. Well, Kanan, so did you like this take on the show, like what well, on the story, or did you not well, like listen, it? Listen, I'm I'm going to be honest. I'm the odd man out here because see, I've never seen Jersey Boys, the stage production. So my first introduction to a vis- visual representation of this story was the movie, and I love the movie, when David and I went and saw the movie. Uh, but I've learned, just as a person who is into directing, from watching the variation you get between a stage musical and a film musical, there's always pros and cons. I have a long list that I'm not going to name of musicals that I have you know, started taking notes on making screen adaptations of, because every time I seem to talk about one, magically there's some schmuck who decides he wants to do an adaptation as soon as I have an idea for one (laughs) that I think could be revolutionary. So I'm not going to mention it, but one of the major perks, which they did, was you have a music budget. You're not just paying pit musicians. You are, you have a studio session. Like, you have an actual time to expand the orchestrations and do what you want to make the music feel even more full. Mm -hmm. Awesome. And so that was the benefit of, I remember David lost his, lost his uh, mind. mind hearing those only horn parts <laughs> in the movie theater. He was like, oh my God. I wish we had a re- rewind button. Be- I-, I really wish we did because I, I-, I must, I-, I, fa- I, someone must have uploaded that stuff right away to YouTube because I immediately found it the next day after we saw it. Mm-hmm. And I just listened to it and listened to it and listened to it and listened to it. And, um, there's an interesting story about that, but I'll save that for another episode. Um, yeah, there's so much. <laughs> yeah, well, because well, well, I mentioned Steve Orich earlier, um, so he's kind of um, mixed into that story, which is pre- it's, it's a pretty cool story. Um, and maybe I'll tell it this episode, too, because we're going to be talking about, uh, spoiler alert, we're going to be talking about the music in this episode. So I might, I might tell it. Um, I might not. You'll just have to wait and see. Um, <laughs> 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 we're silly. We're silly yes. here. 
Um, it's all the family tonight. We're all in the exactly. Family. And I think ev- if, since we're talking about the movie, every almost so so many Jersey Boys stage production alumni in the movie. I mean, three oh my three, God. three of the four seasons were alumni. Were uh, alumni. John Lloyd Young. I I we were I think I was talking about this with Lucas. I don't I think this might have been I think this is one of the only times that a Tony winning actor for a specific role reprises his role in a movie adaptation of this of the same entity. Correct. So John Lloyd Young played Frankie, Michael Lamenda whom Gia and I saw on tour um in 2012 and Lucas you saw I saw him I saw him on Broadway. Yeah. Um, I saw him, I think, right after the movie. Well, no, the movie came out in 2014, and I saw him in 2016. He was filling in for Matt, Matt Bogart. Bogart. Eight, years as Tommy, eight years as Nick Massey, Matt Bogart. Sorry, I just have to bring that up. Yeah. He is... So I saw him live, and Eric Bergen. I did, my sister saw in Waitress that same year, when nice. he was playing right. Dr. Pometer. Mm-hmm. So Eric Bergen played... Bob Gaudio, Michael Amendo was Nick Massey, and then, um, not even the odd man out, because he filled in so well, Vincent Piazza, he was the only non-Jersey Boys alumni in part of the seasons, who was, who played a season, he was Tommy DeVito, and he really brought a whole new perspective. Dimension. Dimension. Absolutely. He really did, and he, mm -hmm. And we know, I, and we know Vincent Piazza from Boardwalk Empire. So this is definitely in that vein. But it's unbelievable how he transformed Tommy, and he gave us the most, the most to work with. Like, cause it, with with the improv that he did, um, it was just brilliant. And because um, things I've seen the show seventy four times, seventy four times, seriously. And but every time I learn something new. And I usually learn something from Vincent Piazza's characterization of Tommy DeVito. Yep. Yep. It's just unbelievable. I might but there are go... so many people. Oh, yeah. oh, 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 go ahead. No, no, no. You can keep going. I'll say it after you. Well, I can, I can keep going. But, uh, well, first, there are people who dislike the movie adaptation. and um, But they're just wanted to throw that out there. And we could definitely get into but that. But we don't associate um, with them. I, just it's just... Kidding. No, it, it, so, and I wrote a movie review on this. This was the first movie review I ever wrote. Um, and but the whole thing, the whole point is that Clint Eastwood just wanted to pull the curtain back and tell the story. It's very slow. It's very slow. The movie's it's it's pretty long. You know, I think it's it's over two hours and thirty minutes, but it's so worth it. And um, but also just to get into other alumni from the show, of course, you have Renee Marino, Mary Delgado. Mary Delgado. You have Erica. Vigilini, we love her. Um, if you follow her Instagram, she is like the coolest, raunchiest person. I love her. Um, yeah, and then of course you have Christopher Walken as Jip DiCarlo, as Jip which DiCarlo. was a huge, huge. It's huge. so, it's so, it, it makes sense. Like if I was, if I was casting it, Chris Walken would be the first person I would call to play Jip. He's got that look. Chris Walken, hey, hey, Chris. Hey, Chris. You want to play Jip? Um, you know, it's um, it's so it makes so much sense to me. I always say that my grandfather, let him rest in peace. Him and Christopher Walken would have been great friends because mm-hmm. they both they looked alike. They had that same hair. 
they had that same walk. They, 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 you know that thing that Christopher Walken does where he goes like this with his hands. Yes, you know? he's the most theatrical guy. Yeah, um, <laughs> I, I, I think <laughs> one of my favorite. This is a guilty pleasure of mine. One of my favorite roles that he has ever done is Captain Hook. Yeah, Peter Pan live. <laughs> what a legend! He's a real legend, and uh, I guess I have to go back and rewatch that. Yeah, yes. it's a performance well. of a lifetime. <laughs> I don't think re would be the word. I just finished watching it. I started and then went. Oh, um, maybe not tonight. What, yeah, and, uh, well, the actor um, who played Norm Waxman, Donnie Donnie Kerr was Donnie the original Kerr. Norm Waxman. Then he reprised. Mm-hmm. The Angels, I think, all three of them were from, from uh, the different Jersey Boys productions. Miles Aubrey, who played Norm Waxman on Broadway, was Charlie Colello, and then. Rob yes. Darnell, who played Bob in the Vegas production, played uh, Joe Long, and they oh, were in the movie this too. This is amazing. And can we talk about how there are seasons touring? Like, like so, Frankie Frankie Valley when he tours now. Obviously, he's not touring right now because of COVID. But when he was, he's he's still out there singing like the bunny on TV with the he's battery. He's still out there singing. Um, Ninety two. So he always has his four seasons behind him, and there's. There's always someone from the show touring as a season. Yeah. Either they left his touring to go into the show, or they left the show and joined his touring um, band. He talks about Jersey Boys all the time and talks about how much of a blessing it is, you know? Yeah. Yeah, Loves huge. it. Him, him and Bob. Him and Bob support the show so much. Um, Joe Pesci, he gets super salty. About the way he's portrayed in the show, like the hey, he's talking portrayed. like this the whole time, you know. Yeah. I, uh, has he never recorded himself and listened back? <laughs> uh, what he's gonna I, fucking amuse us? No. I think that. that the um, Joey Russo who played him in the movie, he was the least. He was the most like the he way was the Joe most Pesci. Joe Pesci. Himself. He they even do his hair when he's a little bit when they're a little bit older and they go to the bowling alley where they're like. Um, Four felons. Four, uh, four lovers. More like the four felons. Um, he ha- even has his hair just like Joe Pesci would have had it at the time. Mm-hmm. And he and he, the and most... he improved with, with just like, with his lines too. They give an homage to Goodfellas. Yeah, funny um, how. Like when he, yeah, yeah, funny, funny how. how. <laughs> when he goes to the door to see Bob Gario, or when he's doing the pins at the bowling alley, and he's it's like it's like you fucking split this. I'm gonna split this up on your head. You know, it's it's perfect. And he then, did a great job. Then there's that little homage to the you show. There's yeah. that little homage to the show because obviously they didn't have Hank Majewski, handsome Hank, in the movie, but. When he goes to Bob's door, he still says, they just got rid of some yacht who was doing monkey songs or some shit. Actually, he's in the movie when Nick Massey comes out of Rawway and then he's like, hey, Tabooch, Machoch. And there's the fourth guy there that he sticks out his hand and Nick is like, who's this? That's Hank uh-huh. Is that Hank Majewski? Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. I always wondered who. I thought that was Nick DeVito. No, he was. He was. Um. They are clearly two di- two different people there. And the well, we movie. never saw Nick DeVito in the movie. Yeah, you did, did. They sing "Apple of My Eye." Okay, guys, it is ten forty three at night right now. <laughs> you see, Lucas, I I loved your attention to detail. Thank you. Yeah, I no, no one knows on those. No one. Knows I those I never things. noticed that about mm-hmm. Hank Majewski. He's an IMDb page. He's a living IMDb page. I wish no, some parts of the movie. 
if you guys, I think the stage version of Tommy's part is way better than the movies, Tommy. Really? Overall, because the writing, they use, the writing is is more tight because it's in the nature of live theater, where you can just keep going and going and going. Um, I noticed today when I watched it that um, they would come like come to a point in the story, and then to keep it moving along, Tommy would be like, anyway. This is what's happening next. It's I would true. notice that a lot mm-hmm. in the blocking yeah. that it kind of cuts it off. Like an example would be Frankie gets the claim check and he's like, uh, it's good to be lead singer. Anyway, Nick Massey revolves at a raw way. The, mm-hmm. You know, two completely different things have nothing to do with each other just because they have to move the story, which is better for stage because they use they they move it along with music constantly. I As go ape isn't in there. Along. No, no, no. But we don't refer to that. Show. <laughs> we don't talk about that. Oh, while, show. We're, while we're on a tangent, Mr. Pesci, please don't uh, have any hard feelings. Uh, Absolutely. It is my guilty ple- His last jazz album is actually a guilty pleasure of mine that I listen to it in the evening hours. Joe Pesci has a jazz album? Yeah, he, he released music as uh, Vinny in, from My Cousin Vinny, I think. Wait, wait, no, whoa, listen, whoa, whoa, whoa. He's a singer. Oh, and don't completely what? quote me on that. I'm not sure, but hey, I thought he released. Who are your I thought he listen. released an album as All right, the Vinny well, character. Full disc. Okay, so you got to know this. So my cousin Vinny, like, I was born watching that movie. I can quote it back in front. Holy shit! And uh, oh my god, I can't believe that. That's insane. I had no idea he he did music. Yeah, me either. And then <laughs> I stumbled upon it. Untitled. Title was like, well, if you like this. You'll love this. Oh, my God. And I was like, oh, will I? Pesci. That's not Joe. We are learning Yeah, Joe Pesci. Yeah, Joe Pesci. Yeah, that Joe uh, Pesci. Vincent, Vincent LaGuardia Gambini, Gambini sings just for you. <gasps> it's like three songs, I think. No, it's, I can't, it is I can't 14, yeah, it's, 14 it's, songs. It's Joe Pesci's last jazz album. Joe Pesci still singing. And oddly enough, want to talk about things that just don't make sense in a sentence it's produced by adam levine yes oh adam my levine god from maroon five <laughs> yeah that joe this pesci the actor Who crazy knew? how he is also connected to this story right well th- well now it makes sense that he is because he was musically inclined it wasn't just oh, random yeah. so that's no. that's good to know i had no idea and well so uh, while we're also talking about my cousin Vinny, i have i have to say this so because of, of the movie, I have in my room, David has seen this. Um, do you guys remember at the beginning of the movie when they first go into Frankie Valley's house and they have a shot of, of Frank Sinatra and the Pope above the fireplace? Mm, yes. So I have both of those. I have two pictures of like you know, of the of the Pope and Frankie above my bed in my apartment in Astoria. I just thought it'd be fun to share. I had that and then I have a My Cousin Vinny poster in my bathroom. With the towels that you can't use. I had those in my, uh, yep. in my college. The bath towels, the bath mats, the face towels. Like he's living alone. Let, listen, that yeah. is one of my favorite, <laughs> my favorite moments in all of anything that's written down for any actor to read. I, I go back and reread that scene constantly because it just brings me a special kind of joy. You know, you wish you could talk to people like that. And and still be able to talk to them after you're no longer that infuriated with them. Oh, well, that but brings boy. up a whole other can of worms. Because in today's time, you know, like our generation, we like, things are we don't let 
people offend us. But back then, that's just how they talked, and it was fine. No, you could go off on someone, and you would be fine 20 minutes later. Yeah, so what do you want for dinner anyway? Exactly. exactly. Yeah. Come on, sit down and eat. You got to eat. Shut up. Yeah. You know? Just a different Dad, kind of attitude Kanan, they all how, had How many people do we know who, st- who still talk to us like that? Well, nobody talks to me like that because I'm at the age where I'll talk back. <laughs> but, yeah, no, we, we know quite a few people that have actually helped develop my Tommy DeVito-esque personality in saying, you know, tell it like it is. And uh, Michael, Le- with Michael Lamenda, he has this, he has this voice as, as Nick that's different than anyone else who does it. You know, he's uh, one of the lines that... um. Um, what one of the lines that he says? Um, this was a sentence, a ten-year sentence. Mm-hmm. No one else says it like that, but he has that little a sentence. He just sounded like Shrek for a quick second, right there. <laughs> hey, yeah, he did. I was like, is he Scottish? Donkey. Yeah. Well, well, no, it was funny you bring that up because with Italian American dialect, you know, and kind of similar to, um, like, kind of to a Jewish dialect, too, we like we define every fucking thing. You know, we'll say like like sentence. Like, it's a big deal if you don't make your consonants harder. Hi, yeah. Judaism lesson here for a second. Um, uh-huh. In the Torah, um, in the old the Old Testament. Um, if you if you read in the Hebrew, a lot of words are emphasized for em- emphasized for emphasis. <laughs> emphasis, emphasis, um, <laughs> and uh, Drake and Josh love it. Um, so there, there's just I'm sorry to get all Bible on you guys for a second, but so there's there's a line in the Old Testament that goes, ju- "Justice, justice, you shall pursue," like. So in Hebrew, it's tzedek, tzedek, tirdof. So um, there, are, there are all these commentaries that always, because uh, the, tangent, moving on, Judaism, we love also repeating words. That's it. <laughs> who's, who's the comedian? Who's, who's the comedian? Oh, my God. Uh, Ma- Mazel. Yes. Who, Rachel. Who's the comedian? Who's, Rachel Bronson. No, shut up. No, no. The guy. Lenny Bruce. That she's always hanging out. Th- Lenny Bruce has this whole shtick about Jewish and Goyish, yes. which is basically the two of you. It's like if you're from New York, you're Jewish. Even if you're not Jewish, you're Jewish. However, if you're from Minnesota and you are Jewish, you're Goyish. Yes. You know, it's just, so that's basically the gist um, of this here. I, I have a funny story. We're the next um, Nichols in May. When, um, but a, not with the other part. A friend of mine, um, a friend of a friend of mine was playing Jean Valjean in Les Miserables on Broadway. And um, he was uh, he he had ju- he had been transferred to Broadway from the Israeli production of Les Mis where he was playing Valjean, so he wasn't performing on the Sabbath and in Jewish holidays, um, and they were like, oh, we'll just get the understudy to do it, but um, uh, Actors Equity was like, no, you can't do that. So this is I think this was one of the earliest instances of having an alternate on Broadway. I don't know how popular it was in the eighties or the nineties, so they had an alternate. So they had this guy playing Jean Valjean, and they had the alternate doing two shows a week, and then you had the understudy doing the understudy. So it said this person's name on his dressing room door, whatever his name is, Jean Valjean, and then it said the other person's name, and it said Shabbos Goy. 
back. <laughs> so um, the the Shabbos goy in in a in an Orthodox religious household, you have you have someone working at your house who is not Jewish, who might do things for you that you can't normally do on the Sabbath, like turn on a light, like. Yeah, but you can't ask. You them. can't you ask them to do it, go, right? Boy, it's dark in here today, <laughs> and you know they're they're supposed to you know read between the lines and come in there and turn the switch on, right? Or you can work out a deal with them in the year. You can work out a favored nations ancillary rights. You know, you can work out a deal with them and be like, you know, when we get to Saturday, Friday night to Saturday, I can't do these things. Um, yeah. So said again. Now, fill in the blanks. Fill in yeah. the blanks. Um, I love that. We're all over uh, the place, continue. but it's great. There well, are... we're theater people. It's a theater podcast. We're talking about Jersey Boys. And if you're not a theater person, you've just learned that theater people easily get distracted and go on miles-long tangents and then struggle to find our way back to whatever led us on this tangent. I, I will lead us back. Okay, let's... I, I, I got a good point. Um, yeah. When the show originally opened, uh, barring... Barring off Broadway and the current tours, there was no Frankie Valley alternate when they opened the show. Um, in the original run at La Jolla, there wasn't one either. I and guess when they were creating it, they never knew that they were going to create one of the hardest musical theater roles to sing for a male in the male range. So um, it when it opened on Broadway, answer. yeah, when they opened on Broadway, John Lord Young, eight shows a week, was singing that score for like a year. Un- wait, wait a minute. Repeat to me what you just said. They made this show not realizing because every third man that walks down the street sounds exactly like Frankie Valley, that they were going to have to have more than one person help this man sing this over the course of a run. Well, they well obviously they have understudies that would would be able to sing the score just to like John it, would, but you know. they didn't know. I guess they didn't really know the taxing. Because in La Jolla, it was only there for like a month and a half or something like that, or two months. Oh, well, I mean, it kept getting extended. It kept getting extended, that's correct. But um, um, for the rigors of eight shows a week, I don't know what if they were doing eight shows a week in La Jolla. Everything, most most professional stuff is eight, eight shows a week. Okay. So I don't know why they didn't make the, when they made the jump to Broadway, that they just didn't open up with an alternate. But I guess once they saw how much it was taking a toll on their original star, and they realized how much he would he was beginning to call out that they'd give him a rest for matinees, and that's where the two show Frankie was born, with Michael Longoria, Michael taking Longoria over. Was the first two show Frankie, and um, and now and now it's back to now it's back now to it's back to eight shows a week. When you're doing it at New World Stages, you know. Yeah, a single Frankie. Yeah, eight shows. A week. But when you're doing it on tour. I mean, at this point, you're only stopping sometimes for a night to two nights. A night, two nights max. So it's theater. like you still get a break and then you move on. Right. So you're not doing an, you're not doing a traditional eight show week at this point. So it might be a little easier, but it's not that much easier. I mean, we because you're to traveling, really talk, right? Because you're traveling, you're not yeah, really getting no. to rest. So it's not really that yeah. much easier. Because no, so you're not singing eight shows a week anymore. So maybe you can make the argument that it's easier, but you're also not getting the same rest. You know? Yeah, so, certainly. It's like me and you have discussed, David. The singer's body is their instrument. 
So if the body is not firing on all cylinders or the mind because it's sleeping in a tour bus and God knows what else goes wrong. The smell of the latrine pours out. Somebody opens the door and it's like, oh, God, you, you know, you wakes you up out of your sleep. It's going to affect your ability to sing at maximum capacity. And so you're telling me that there's a, a single person. I'm not talking about an understudy. I'm talking about there's no alternate. There's no alternate. There's nobody that I can wake up today and play rock, paper, scissors and go, no, you're going. No, I, no, I, I don't have that G today. So you got you to yeah. do it. There's nobody for that. I would have to call out sick and the understudy would have to go on. It's strange, too, because I won't name him. But according to Wikipedia and an article I read, the original, original Frankie Valli, when the show was created, was not John Lloyd Young. As some people no. may think, was no. not him. It was another individual. He blew out his voice singing the show, and towards the end, he wasn't even going on. So I, kn- yes. they must have known. They must have known that it was uh, a strenuous thing to do, because it's not just the singing. You're talking ninety-five percent of the show. Frankie's on stage. There's no hiding for him. He has it's two acting. Breaks. He has two breaks in the entire show. He's right at the beginning. And he doesn't get he. I think he's off stage for like three different scenes that are less than a minute each. But immediately he's wailing on those E's on top. Yep. Immediately out right out the gate, and um, the highest the high the highest note that Frankie does sing in the show is an F, the F on top, like the F in the F in Walk Like a Man. That's the highest note, unless you're singing the alternate key. For I still care, then you're singing a G on. That's the highest note. Just did that. Um, hi. Um, and uh, subtle flex. Yeah, Kanan, make sure you edit that part out. Just because that just pissed me off that he did that. <laughs> did it? Did it irk you? Oh, his his mic cut out for me, so I, I didn't. Have, I didn't suffer. Um, it's. It makes me wonder if they were working with a, vo- a vocal coach at La Jolla. Now we're getting into we're getting into you know tenuous ground, not semantics, but we're getting into. It's like I don't want to question anything, you know, because I mean these producers, I mean they came up with this brilliant musical, right? Oh, of course. Yeah, but producers don't, as I have learned, uh, working in the music industry. Um, which is not technically the theater industry, but it does cross over. I've done theater myself, but I'm more to the professional music side. Um, they don't, they don't know. It's very rarely that you get a producer that you can hand a mic to and say, "Hey, can you go do sound check and sing lead on this piece?" Because the main artist is not here, and so it's just a natural. It comes with the territory. Yeah. Is like that you gotta time, know well, the territory. Yep. Right. It comes with the territory of the people who are providing the money and who are doing the planning and the hiring and firing do not often understand the technicalities of what's happening in anything creative because it's not just their Well, milieu. to Jersey Boys' credit, over their 15-year span on Broadway and all of their productions, I it's almost guaranteed... That rarely ever did they have a Frankie that couldn't sing that, you know, if if you were cast in the role, you, you know you it. could go on and sing it. 
which is a testament to how good they were with casting because I Frankie had seen Camp. they had a Frankie Camp, which was discussed on last episode. And my first Frankie was um, my first Frankie was an understudy. And I thought, you know, me being absolutely uh, oblivious to what that was in, you know, being in the theater, I thought it was going to be a bad experience. Turned out to be amazing. And this was a person who had done it maybe two or three times on Broadway because he had just got to the company. Um, and he killed it. So the the whoever's the casting directors, they are keeping a very tight ship with the show. That's always running and always has people ready to go. Definitely. Um, yeah, Tara Rubin casting has their shit together. They they have this they, they have a few guys always wait at New World Stages, you know, that they have their people that they can call, you know, if something happens. Yep. Um and these are people from the old, from the old, from the old times, even still, you know. Um, so we're actually, uh, we're going to take a quick break right now, everyone. Thank you very much. And we'll be right back. And we're back. We've got a full house in the studio, in the virtual studio, the Zoom studio. Um, we got Lucas Luna. Uh, Hello. We got Kane and Greer. And we got my friend and partner, Gianna Daxi. No. Didn't even bat an eye. Maron. <laughs> um, I'm skipping ahead in my Italian words of the day, but they'll come back. Um, so we were t- before the break, we were talking about, we were segueing into a lot of the music stuff, technical aspects. Um, so what fascinates me about Jersey Boys, um, if you look at your handy-dandy playbill, Oh, I don't have one of those. I have oh. three. <laughs> you, you, oh, you, share with the class. Yeah, if you look at your handy-dandy playbill, first, two things. Um, after, so when you see the cast, um, you'll see, uh, th- it doesn't happen right now at New World Stages, or I'm not sure if it happens on tour right now. You'll see the four seasons. You'll see um, Bob, Frankie, Nick, and Tommy. And then above, you'll see the actors portraying them in the show, which it's pretty cool. They got rid of that um, when they got to New World Stages. But if you skip a few pages, or if you go, if you actually go a few pages uh, back, forward, what? Wait. He's lost in a sea of bios. No, okay, yeah. After, okay, so after the cast picture, um, you see the musical numbers. And then at the bottom, you have the ones that got away. Um, all the songs that I guess were in the show at one point, but eventually got cut when they made when they opened on Broadway, or even when they opened up. I would love to get my hands on a playbill from the La Jolla production. Any of you out there listening, if you have a playbill from the La Jolla production, I will pay you for it. And we will credit you. We will give you some sort of credit, and it will be great. Um, so you have the ones that got away. And uh, I used to listen to, um, uh, on the Blue album, The Very Best of Frankie Valli and the Four Seasons, a lot of these songs live on there. Again, obviously, they live on their former original albums when they came out. But Candy Girl, I've Got You Under My Skin, which wasn't even Love theirs. I that mean, they, song. That arrangement, that was my grandfather's favorite. Frankie Valli and the Four Seasons Arrangement. Frankie, it's one of his craziest songs on top. 
um, Save It For Me, Ronnie. And Save It For Me and Ronnie, those were still very early ones. Um, Swearing to God. Swearing to God. More like, a, it's not within, it's not in the style of, it would have never fit. Well, that was that show. was later. That was later. Frankie also. Mm-hmm. Like, I think the, the song that fit the most with that with the style was "Who Loves You." Like, if we're talking about style of song, "Who Loves You" is the closest to that. Will you still love me tomorrow? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so good. Mm-hmm. Tell it to the rain. Um, so a lot of these songs that didn't make it into the show. Fun fact. Now I've seen the show nineteen times at this point. So I'm able I, – I, I watch the show for different reasons at this point. Whenever I go see it, I go see it to focus on this. I go see it to focus on this. And one time I was sitting watching the show, and I heard a song in the underscoring. There's so much underscoring and vamping going on with the band. And this is one of the most brilliant things is that the band takes some of the ones that got away, and they put them in the underscoring under certain scenes. So one that will always stand out for me, um, and I, I remember I almost plotted in my seat when I first when I first heard it, um, when Frankie and Lorraine are talking during the second act, like when when she's first interviewing him. Silence is golden. Is playing, and it's like I think about it. Why choose that song? Why choose silence is golden? Right? So if you listen, if the, the words of silence is golden, it's talking about someone who, someone who um, is in love with someone, but the other person's in love with someone else, and they're not really treating them right. But you just keep your mouth shut because... Sometimes it's better when things are left unsaid. And Lorraine and Frankie are talking and he's bearing his soul to her because he feels that sort of connection to her. And you could tell that in the writing, it's not your average interview. And Nick Massey says it after. Sometimes it just clicks with people. So maybe the choosing, the choice of that underscoring there is Frankie is choosing not to be silent because... He feels some deep connection with her. And then it goes into immediately playing Dawn um, as the underscoring. So putting those two together really just blew my mind. Ron Melrose, who was – was he the – I think he was the original music director of the show on Broadway – and I know he's the mu- he's the music supervisor. I just don't, I don't want to misquote. So let's look at the playbill. Um, Ron Melrose, right here. So the music coordinator was John. Uh, at this point, was John Miller. Ron Melrose, music direction, vocal arrangements, and incidental music. Incidental music. That's the key right there. He was in charge of putting all that stuff together. Um, so that was the biggest one that stood out for me. But there's another one in the scene, in the, in another scene in the second act when Bob and Frankie are at the coffee shop and Bob tells Frankie that he doesn't want to be up front. He wants to produce and write and really start to pay money on both sides, start to get money on both sides to pay off this Tommy thing. And um, right during, during that whole thing, up until the end of the scene, they're playing Candy Girl. 
and it's kind of like it's kind of like a meta thing. I think I was talking about this with Lucas that they're so popular that wherever they are, they can be listening to their songs on the radio in a diner in anything. So they're just I mean, I don't think I don't know what what the the what the protocol is with using actual music, like actual music from the four seasons in the show. But Ron Melrose had already established such a strong underscoring thing that he used that to his advantage and put in Candy Girl. This is the way I see it. Ron Melrose, if you're out there, if you're listening, if you have a different take on how you did it, let us know. Uh, Shoot us a DM. Come, yeah. come argue your point. <laughs> exactly. Why did you do it? Um, but it's like they're they're famous. They're everywhere. So Candy Girl's just randomly playing on the on the radio, and then later, um, Frankie says, "Why does everybody leave?" And Bob says, "Frankie, this is your time." And then the sun ain't gonna shine. Starts playing. How do you do that? What get me to agree to stuff? And. I remember when I first started hearing these underscorings, it got it brought such a whole new level of genius. Because I already knew the script was genius. But um, once I started really listening to the music, I was th- this this show really is always finding ways of surprising me. Mm-hmm. So that yeah. that that's a big thing with the music for me. Well, it gives you goosebumps with the underscoring, and <laughs> and everything is foreshadowing. Everything writes itself, and that's what makes this story the magic that it is. It's it's unbelievable. Foreshadowing. And I'm sure for them, yeah, and I'm sure for them hearing it back, like I'm sure they did hear themselves in the diner or at the post office. I remember I was sending someone something Jersey Boys related, and like I had to mail it to them, and the second I walked in, Can't Take started playing on the radio like it's like this music really does have a way of following you all the time everywhere everywhere in 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 the pizzeria scene with mary delgado and frankie guess what song they're playing they're playing my eyes adored you Mm -hmm. come on (laughs) it's so two things one i'm gonna do the less deep one first the choice to have a Frankie Va- uh, Valley in the fourth season song playing in the background is actually a really ingenious mark of showing how famous you actually are. Because it reminds me of the story. My favorite Burt Bacharach song is Alfie. Mm. And one of my favorite singers is Barbara Streisand. So I said, well, let me go find out if Barbara Streisand ever sung Alfie. And it said Alfie Live in Alfie Studio. So I clicked on Alfie Live and she was saying she was sitting in the back of a taxi cab one time. And she couldn't really hear what was playing on the radio, but she was like, it was a gorgeous song. And she was on her way to the studio, and she gets to the studio. She's like, why have I never sung this song? It's gorgeous. So she called up the studio head and goes, hey, what was the song playing at such and such and such and such time? It's gorgeous, and I need to cover it. They're like, oh, that was Alfie by Barbara Streisand. Uh, To where she had sung so much music, she had forgotten exactly what was on her discography. So the choice to be somewhere and hear yourself playing Almost to the point where you've shelled out so much work that it's almost mundane to hear yourself out in the real world when you're not in performance mode. In the movie, in that same scene in the movie, they're playing Stay. Oh, won't you stay? See, it's a mark of stardom. Mm -hmm. But also, the choices of incidental music are sort of to that conversation we had yesterday, David. 
is discerning the difference between the subconscious genius of writing the show and the unconscious genius. And that's one of those points that definitely, to anyone who's just listening and actually realizes what's happening, realizes that is a stroke of conscious genius. Somebody sat and thought about what will perfectly solidify the moment but not detract away from the attention of someone who's first taking in the story. Because it, it creates an emotional bed in music. And that's important when making incidental music, is creating uh, a bed that emotionally supports whatever is happening in the exposition of the story without stopping focus from the exposition to notice what's playing. Right. And that choice, uh, the fact that it works already it when you don't realize there. what it, it is and then once you realize it just takes everything to another level it doesn't detract from what's happening it just adds to the magic a big thing there are horns all over the show from the beginning from the beginning of Sasuari Law and then um, uh, when um, in in um, in silhouettes um so they start singing to go walk past your house. Um, what's this, Lucas? What's the second verse? Put his put his arms around. Put uh, his arms around your waist. Held you tight. The horns. The the because it's 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 mostly the 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 horn the the horn section is um, it's a trumpet, trombone, and reeds. A lot of reeds. You can really hear the saxophones there. So on late last night. The, the the horns there really it really gives me goosebumps it really pops out at me but there are horns all over the show and then I remember also the first time I realized this you know Frankie's like you know if things work out we can talk about a saxophone if things work out we could talk about a whole horn section and then when that click happened for me there are horns all over the show again conscious genius brought it to a whole new level yeah uh, it's whole, it's uh, Easter eggs it's a beautiful like like cascading veil down the entire show but it's also and you used the word meta before and like and i think all of us like we i appreciate meta things i don't think there's anything wrong with it and i think that's a huge reason why this show is now a part of our dna pretty much because it's there everywhere it's in your subconscious it's in that extra level and the whole another dimension again when you realize what they did with the underscoring so it's just it's just one thing after another. That's great. But Lucas, I, what do you have to say? I really like, throughout shows, I'm really more of a conscious... Um, I really love it when recurring themes are happening throughout. You know, different pieces of work. Not just musical theater. Also, like, with film, which is why, like, my favorite... One of my favorite movies is um, uh, West Side Story. That has recurring themes all over that score. Burn especially dying. when you hear it. Burns, uh, the genius. Lately, my second favorite musical. Lately, La La Land um, is one Woo! of my favorite musicals, and that has recurring themes happening all over the place. The City of Stars is everywhere, and me and Sebastian's theme is everywhere. And I really like it when it's progressing. So in in Jersey Boys, for example, when when they're giving their final monologues before Who Loves You, uh, when they're all turning, each season has their own theme. Like Tommy has. Uh, once he turns over, and he's like, you know, you want to know what I do now? You hear the beginning. You be, hear the beginning of silhouettes playing again mm-hmm. during his part of the monologue, and then stay happens for Nick Massey. Um, I forget Bob's. I think it's cry for me. I'm not Bob's is cry for me. 
Bob's with the, with cry that, for me. With that saxophone in the background. But it's it happens everywhere. There's a theme of Earth Angel that happens in the middle of um uh uh one of Tommy's monologues that's happening, I think before I go ape. Uh I it's just conscious conscious uh placement of music for each character I think is brilliant. And Whenever gang shit happens, it's plain silhouettes. Yeah. Whenever gang shit's happening, they're playing silhouettes. Like when Norm, when 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 Tommy goes to visit Norm Waxman, you got that. So they they play a lot of strings on keyboards in the show. So you got that string playing an E on the bottom. Yeah, because it's an A major. Um, you got an you got a string playing an E on the bottom, and then the horns are playing. And the E on the bottom is creating that ominous creating that tone. tension. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Um, and then in the second act, Walk Like a Man, Walk Like a Man keeps coming back each time Nick Massey talks about how everyone was acting like children. Ah! It blows my mind. So to any young composers who are looking into the uh, plot-driven element of writing music, that is definitely something to be paid attention to. The first time I noticed it, the very first show... I noticed the power of a recurring uh, motif musically was Into the Woods. Mm-hmm. And I, I I noticed it because I've seen that show 39 plus times, every iteration that exists that I can listen to. And there's a melody. Bum, 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 bum. Comes into play whenever there is the theme of parenthood. So geniusly written in that when Jack in Into the Woods, Jack and the Beanstalk, has his moment where he goes from being a child to a man, which is part of parenting and children, his melody for There Are Giants in the Sky. There are giants in the sky. It's literally this repeating melody. It's the mark of genius in musical theater. And the fact that it's all over Jersey Boys is just a testament to the quality of the work. It's it's what takes it beyond just being a play with music. Yeah. That's where you can get into the real genius of it being a musical. Yeah, or the music just being a character in itself. Exactly. The music is just another character. Exactly. That's something I've discussed. So a good friend of mine is one of the greatest composers I've ever met, and we'll all soon be hearing more from him. And when I was writing the score for the first thing I've ever written a score for, he goes, okay, you have two options, really when writing incidental music and score, it can be omnisciently commenting on what's happening. It can be a commentary as it is in this show with Jersey Boys. It's a it's an unspoken commentary of what's happening in the underneath. Or it can be the god of this world. It can be fate waving its hand. And controlling the events that happen, which are what you get Star with Wars. And La La Star Land. Wars. It's Harry Potter. Star Wars is the prime example he gave me. Okay, they're called fate themes, like the mm-hmm. bum da 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 da. Don't sue me, George the, Lucas. That's the force. Mm-hmm. It's theme. the god of that universe. Yep. Because every time something is happening, you hear it somewhere in the orchestrations or mm-hmm. bum bum dum dum mm-hmm. Harry Potter. And I yeah. think that's where it's Steve that Orich. That's where Steve Orich came into huge play also because picking those instruments and Steve we'd love to have you on the show to talk about this um, that, that's why I kind of don't want to tell my Steve Orich story 
Save it. I'm going to save it. Save it, yeah. Keep them waiting. Um, Make them keep listening. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But the, the genius... Because he was he was the one that was like, let's put some horns in here. Let's put some fucking horns in here, you know? That that was all him. And the fact that he... No. Yeah, well, to quote Bob Crew, I'm a fucking genius. A fucking you know, that's genius. exactly what this is. Because yeah, I told him you're a fucking genius. <laughs> I'm a fucking genius. Um... Now, now that we're talking, you know, we're talking, we're kind of gearing towards the orchestrations. Um, those, uh, again, those can't take horns. They're, they're. I, I, I couldn't even, I couldn't even handle it. It's. I, I don't know what. What did you guys think? Because everyone knows that. Ba-da, ba-da. Sorry, I won't. Mm-hmm. That's all I'll do. Um, don't sue me. Um, <laughs> but everyone knows that. Everyone who's anyone knows that. But then you y- you had that counterpoint line that Steve Orich wrote for the horns in the movie. That was. What did you guys think? I mean, was I the only one who freaked out? No. When well, I heard that? well, I'll tell you what. So of course I saw. I've seen the movie as many times as I, as I told you, and I saw an advanced screening of it. So I freaked out. It was June twelfth, twenty fourteen. But I have to say, it was probably twenty seventeen. I was on the bus on my way from Orlando to my hometown um, when I was in college, and all I listened to was the movie version of "Can't Take" the entire two and a half hour ride. Now here's the kicker: my headphones were pretty much broken and all i could hear like what it was like the mono the stereo like it, it, i could hear each each aspect of the music mm-hmm. so all i it's all i would listen to was that song and try to study the horns and that counterpart and it's it's seriously it it just it gives you chills no matter how many times you listen to it and it's it's great so that, that's my experience it. with the song with the movie version and of course i loved it when i first saw it but it took me broken headphones to really figure out how good it was. So have you guys listened to it in different ways? Like, like without like no, just, I've just the instrumental without the, like, what'd you do? I've never thought to do yeah, that. Yeah. I, the first time I saw the movie, it was more just like a, Oh my goodness. I'm finally watching some iteration. Cause I had not seen the show before I saw the movie. Right. I saw the movie a year before I saw the show for the first time. So I was just like, wow. My first experience with it was just, wow, I'm watching something. I'm watching the story. So I, it was more just like a being present. I didn't really catch it. I had to wait till I got the DVD. And then once you see it, maybe I think it was my fifth or sixth time when I really started studying what was happening. You know, not just enjoying. You, you, you can watch it to enjoy or you watch to catch for things like we, did, like we all do. And I remember hearing the counterpoint for the first time. And I was like, wow, that's very different in a very, a very good way. Because that's not original. I think that's one of the most the best additions to one of the original songs that were released that I had heard um, either in the show or in the movie. And um, I just, I, I feel out. like I, I didn't freak out as much as you. I, w- I wish I was more conscious of what was happening the first time I saw it. Maybe I could have caught it then. But, but I think, I, I think you're saying, I mean, after you, even though, even though you might, even though, because like, I said everyone knows that horn part. Un- unless you uh, really immerse yourself in the music and immerse yourself in the show. So I'm sure after you saw the show, 
And then you watch the movie, you were like, oh, this shit hits different. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. it's, it, it's a completely different, it's a completely different setup, too. Yeah, you know? well, 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 here's another thing. So, of course, like, there, there is the build, I think, more in the movie. It's like, play the fucking song already, right, you know? Right, And, but, but I will say, because the movie is on the longer side, I feel like people were tired by the time it got to the song. So if you missed it, I feel like it makes sense, even though you were waiting for it, but you really, really paying attention to what they did to it. You just wanted to hear it so you can get it over with. Because it was that, and then it immediately went to the finale, and then it was over. Yeah. It's, with the movie, I feel like, you know, for us, since we're such nerds for something, you know, for Jersey Boys that we all love, we enjoy it no matter what. But it's just something... It's the same runtime, actually. Uh, the movie and the show. It's two hours and fif- 15 minutes. Is it? Two hours two and 15, fif- I think. 15. It's, is it 2.15? Okay. Yeah. And the show runs a little bit longer. Mm-hmm. But I feel like it's because you're present watching it happen before you live. There's like this electric electric energy that you when you're sitting, you're like, come on, can we get to Sherry so I could see you guys become the band already? Mm-hmm. But in the movie... There's not you have that disconnect about okay you're watching a story take place and you're not there, yeah as it's happening. I so I feel like that's where the movies can be. People the arguments very sound that the movie is a little bit slower, and and that's not necessarily a bad thing, you know, because they do have they do have a bit more time in the the early years to really get home the attitude of these people were were hanging on by the 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 strings of their shoes trying to get anything you know you're really rooting for them in the movie and in the show um it's so tight and the music everything all of the collaborations made between the actors and all of the music and the set moving it's a it's a freight train it doesn't stop so the first 45 minutes that leads up to sherry feels like it's 20 compared to the movie that really takes 45 minutes to finally get to sherry yeah, mm-hmm. I feel that, and it's also the 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 music. You know, it's like um, when they uh, the first time you hear the Sherry piano, you're building up into Bob's into Bob's monologues. You lose that in the movie too. Yeah. It's just different. That's one of my favorite parts of the show. Oh. Like the dun dun dun. You're like, oh shit! It's Funny happening. thing. Yeah, it's like That's dun, the best part. Dun, dun, dun. I I always thought you know because on the on the cast recording you hear the, that guitar right dun dun dun. And then when I first saw the show, I was like, I was waiting for those those guitars, but then all you had, um, and then because because I also know those guita- those guitars are also in the the trailer for the show, the one with Nolfi and Jared Spector. Yeah, the new Broadway cast. Yeah. Um. So. Yeah, that was just it. Oh, Isn't it so funny much. also that how in uh, leading into Big Girls, the movie and the show differ on the origin of that? Yeah, that song. I just well, picked that up today. Can you believe that? It took me this Clint, long. Pick that up, Clint. E- <laughs> pick that up. Clint Eastwood was in that movie clip, right? That was Clint Eastwood. Yes, in Big yeah. Girls Don't Cry. Mm-hmm. And so, fun fact, um, the two girls after Cry For Me, one of the waitresses is Clint Eastwood's granddaughter. A, wow. Fun fact. Mm-hmm. You got to give the family a role some, family. somehow. Yeah. Definitely. Um, but yes, back to... Um, 
Big Girls Don't Cry, mm-hmm. haha, funny thing, it's in a different key in the show than it is on the album when they released it. They lifted the song up a half step. It's on a, on the cast recording. It's in the it's in the original album key, but in the show they sing it in A flat, G sharp, whatever you want to call it, and. Um, <laughs> I wonder why that. Who, I wonder what, why. I don't know. What do you think, as um, a music person, and Kanan definitely um, chime in on this too? But what do you think is the reason why they bumped it a half step? Especially so for me in my brain. Role... For me in my brain, I said, okay, whoever's singing the part just finishing in Sherry, that's in C. Um, now they're gonna go into Big Girls, which is already in a higher key, and then. Well, you, they, the, it actually it's in a lower key. It's in a lower key. That's correct. It's in a lower yeah, yeah, key, yeah. but he's he's jumping up. But what so. it, in my brain? Why would you raise it to a higher key that he have to, he'd have to sing just a little bit higher when he's he still has walk like a man to get through, and you still had to jump up half a step. So I don't know why they couldn't. We're keep moving it. from where to where now. So what what was the song so before? The song so was Sherry in G major. In, so Sherry's in C major. In C right, major. highest note. A highest note is is a. a E, E natural. Okay. Okay. And then what's and the then highest note in Big Girls? Big Girls Don't Cry, the highest note is... It's the F, the F on top, which he immediately sings after in Walk Like a Man. So my thinking was, why wouldn't you give the guy a break and leave it the half step down in the original key, too? I don't know. Well, you have multiple options. Um... The first being uh, the most obvious, especially with male singers. Well, not all singers who have to actually sing loudly and don't have to just, you know, pluck at a guitar and whisper into a mic. Uh, E, F, F sharp. Whenever you have to approach those those notes with your voice, they're near the natural break of the human voice. So if you can get away from those keys and keys, uh, get away from those notes and keys in which he would be frequenting notes. I'm not completely familiar. I could pull up the sheet music, but it'll take me an eon and a half to see what the range is. Also, it could just feel better. Like sitting in the room, it might feel more spectacular in A flat than it does in G. Yeah, I can, I can I, see that. I, I totally feel that. They also got rid of the the horn section. So so uh, th- there's that little trumpet section um, in Big Girls Don't Cry. But they uh, a big thing about Jersey Boys is what I love, and they and they they dis- they did the same thing in Ain't Too Proud. They don't use the entirety of each song because they know they don't need to. They don't need to use the entire. I, I especially if I they're saw. well-known songs. It's it's like exactly at that point it just becomes fan service and it'll slow and the momentum of the show. I saw I saw the bodyguard when it was on tour with in whom Chicago with with um with Deborah Cox. She was playing um Whitney Houston's character, and um they were playing the entirety of each of those songs. And those Whitney songs are not short. Well, that's because they were. In their entirety, uh, in, the in the movie, because they weren't Whitney's songs until the movie came out, when she was the playing movie. Rachel Marin. Um, oh, okay. Which is a movie. It that movie is so long. You want to talk about something that feels long? The Bodyguard. To me, Jersey Boys didn't feel long, but that's because me as I have many different hats I wear at any given time, 
And so as a director, I constantly in watching things am looking for exposition and character development. And I'm looking for those moments where we really get to just take in a breath and see what's happening. And you don't get that in live theater. You don't. Um, because it's a, it's a moving machine. If your show is good, it's a moving machine with musicals, especially. It's constantly plowing from one thing to the next. There's always this perpetual motion. Things are happening. You're blowing through. Whereas movies, you can take a moment and just have the camera look at a person who's reacting to something that just happened and really start to take in the depths of who they were as a person. Now, to the impatient mind, yeah, it does feel slow. Um, but to a person that's looking for that, and even to non-film people who are just incredibly empathetic and like to watch these things to relate to some part of it, that's a magic that you get on screen that you don't get on stage because if you buy balcony seats... Huh? What's they look like? Is he squinting? You're not seeing anything. Is he frowning? Like the first show I ever saw that was a professional production was Wicked, and I sat in the balcony. I don't know what a single actor in that production looked like. I remember their <laughs> names because they sounded fantastic, but I did not see a single person who was in that show. But it does make it feel slower because you do take those moments to really process what's happening, whereas live theater, you feel the energy it's like watching a living panorama, whereas a movie is a picture within a screen that you feel no intense physical connection to. But you can feel the physical energy pouring off of the actors on stage, which is what creates that feeling of momentum, like you're just blowing through things, unless the show's yep. bad, and then it feels like wins intermission. Oh my God, it's been so long, but you, I have a special love, ironically, for Tommy DeVito. Just because I'm, I I love characters like that. Like, just keep it one... I, I have a bit of a potty mouth myself. I've been trying to watch myself on this call. I don't know how, how well I've done, but I, I... Oh, doing better than us. I I gravitate... Well, that's because <laughs> I put on my professional cap. Uh, but the minute we take a break, I swear like I'm in the Navy. No, but um. <laughs> I just resonated with Tommy just because I, I have always gravitated towards characters like that. There's so many in my personal life of people yeah. who are exactly like that. Uh, most of them have spent some time in the northeastern region of our, our wonderful United States. I myself am a southerner, uh, so you don't really get that demeanor out of southern people. They say, oh, bless your heart. And, you know, underneath of that, the tone of their voice is, go fuck yourself. Um, and just watching Tommy be able to just tell it like it was in that entire movie was really blessing me. That's what stuck out to me. Yeah, for sure. How about you, Gia? What, what, who did you resonate with in that film? Who, whose performance resonated with you? Like their characterization, their dramatic development. Well, that's a great question, Kanan. Uh, we, we kind of touched on it before about how much I love Tommy's character and I feel like it was the richest I can see because I can really dissect it as you said um, like from a directorial standpoint and really examine the character so definitely Tommy um, just with his smart ass improvised remarks because that that's the real Italianness, like how rich it is in the show um, or in just in the whole story in general and he is very much like my father like my uncle um, which I really appreciate um, but 
so he's he's definitely my favorite. However, of course, on the show we have a wonderful like little bias like toward Nick Massey, and is of course in the show we know the least about him, but in the movie you were able to have more opportunity to learn more about him or at least to watch Michael Lamenda's um, interpretation of him. So I appreciated that opportunity that was given in the movie for sure. Um, Gaudio kind of lost the kind of lost the mark there. He, he missed the mark. Um, I love Eric Bergen. But I just thought there was so much more he could have done. Like, for example, like there's a line um, in the half a mil scene where he's like, it's like, well, like, you know, he's just like, w- with what, Tommy? Yeah. He's like, with what, Tommy? He just, he, he did it. Like, it was such a, an empty delivery where I feel like he really could have had a chance. Oh, I, David's making no, 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 no. I was, because um, sometimes I do that. I, I yeah. cut people off. So I go like this. <laughs> No, it's well. Um, yeah, I just felt like that was a missed, missed. He missed Mark and Frankie. Of course, is John Lloyd Young. Of course, I love watching him. Um, but the way, but I know for some people, this is not my opinion. But I know for some people, the aging of of the characters. Um, you know, throughout like when he was Frankie was a teenager to who who he is like in the nineties. Um, people thought the makeup was very distracting to his performance. Um, I personally didn't. I. I appreciate Frankie for who he is, like no matter who's playing him. Um, and especially just with respect to John Lloyd Young, because he originated the character. Um, yeah. I felt the need to talk about all of them, but definitely Tommy is my, um, he's the most interesting to watch me from a directorial standpoint. How much you keep a kid? <laughs> I'm a, uh... I don't. I'm not partial to any one character in the movie. I like looking at the the supporting characters in the movie. I, I mean, I think Vincent Piazza. I mean, everyone's always gonna want to follow Vincent Piazza in the movie. I think. I think yeah, that's an everyone sure. kind of thing. Um, no matter who you are. But I like watching the other characters how and how they're played different in the movie versus. I mean. Again, we're talking about Joe Pesci. I mean, Joey Russo, his interpretation of Joey was completely, completely different than anyone else who's ever played Joe Pesci in the show. And that was that was very refreshing and very interesting for me to watch. And the 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 relationship between Joe Pesci and Tommy almost got elevated a little bit because, you know, he's not talking like this anymore. So he's not really a little kid. Um he, so he, he, you kind of were actually able to see that this guy, Joe Pesci, kind of had a knack for this. Who are you, Al Capone? I'll handle the sit-downs. You handle the bowling pins. Um, you know, so uh, I, I I liked Joey Russo a lot in the movie. Um, and Vincent Piazza. I mean, always. Always going to bring it back to him. Luke. Lucas. So for the the character, fun fact, my uncle calls me that. Um, Which one? Luke oh. Meister. I've been called that my entire wow. life by him. Hit the nail on the head. Yeah. Yep, shot in the dark Luke in Meister, the head. Meister Meisterberger. Yep. So for me, um, I I enjoy the performances of the movie. Um, I have to agree with all of you that. Uh, for some, I don't know what it is, 
maybe it is all the extra, you know, marons or all of the little extra stuff that Vincent threw in that I know for sure wasn't written into the into the script that he would just blurt out in the show uh, during during the course of the movie. Didn't that even he really brought he really brought an authenticity to the role that um that really made me get behind the Tommy character because some people see him as like an anti-hero or like one of the villains of the story. I the way that Vincent plays him and some people on on in the show is like a guy that he's he's so desperate to to be something that he gets himself into trouble and he doesn't That's- stop. Just I I watched um the the Hamilton um the the movie on Disney Plus couple days ago and i thought alexander hamilton was the tommy devito of his time where he's just a guy who's very ambitious what will do anything to get over to 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 progress and sometimes it's to the detriment of himself or others and he does it both consciously and subconsciously and i felt that vincent really gave the the impression that he wasn't really trying to harm people, but he also didn't care too much as well because he knew there was an end goal that he wanted to get to. And I felt he really sold it, especially with his relationship with Frankie, with John. Um, He does a bit more huffing and puffing once Bob is brought into the picture. You know, uh, him starting to lose that brother, that little brother, older brother relationship with, with Frankie and how he becomes a little bit more restless over time. And I felt that he gave such a nuanced performance the further you got into the story that that really showed that deep down inside Tommy did care about Frankie as much as Frankie didn't think so but he also cared a lot about himself and i felt that um of all of the performances Vincent probably gave the best which is funny because he's the one that hasn't done the show before he was the first right. person to come in maybe it was the fact that he just took a film approach to it you know not bringing anything from a past performance to um to the role because I'm sure that you know Eric John and Michael were all pulling from their other performances when they were doing and it. And I think that's natural. I think that's yeah, just yeah. automatically going to happen. But since uh, Vincent yeah. only was bringing, you know, his you know, he goes from being uh Lucky Luciano to Tommy DeVito. Those are two separate things. It's not like you, you can pull from anything to really uh sink into the role that you're playing. It's so funny. Dramard yeah. was telling us uh, Nick Dramard was telling us that um, we're going to have him on again soon, God willing. Um, Nick Dramard was telling us that when he was doing it at the Muni, he had to struggle to not do the Broadway, the official the official choreography and stuff because he was learning that whole new, the whole new blocking, the whole new... New choreography, stick. the whole new yeah. thing. So, I think it's, lines it's, are the it, same, but it's a completely different production. Yeah, and mm-hmm. it's it's always gonna live in you. And the I think great actors, they're always trying to find something new, but they know that they have their past to guide them. Yeah, to that something new. I mean, not not yeah, saying I, at all that any of the the performances were bad or lazy. No, but right. it was just a different take. You know, take 100%. Yeah. And Lucas, I really think you nailed it, um, like your whole explanation with Tommy. And it's also, now that I'm thinking about it, I feel like every added scene was done to accentuate 
the nuances that Tommy could bring. Because when you have like, oh, holy get the not thou, Madone, yeah. or it's like hypocrite with, like, you know, with the extra mm-hmm. part with Francine and and Mary. It's like, yeah, well, crucify me, right? Like in the half a mil yeah. scene. Or, and the, my favorite part was when he switched, um, like when they finally got Bob, when he started to get restless, perfect use of the word restless there, Lucas. Um, when he's like, when all goes up in smoke, don't fucking blame yep. me. All right. Instead of don't, instead don't of like, come don't crying come crying to me. to me, don't fucking blame yeah. me. That's, that's, that's the nuance that he brought to it. Eyes, Nikki. Eyes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Eyes. Yeah. I salute. You know, that's yeah. Like, I really oh, yeah, like, special? I, re- I really yeah. like also how in the show, he goes, when it crashes, don't come crying to me. And then he hits Joey on the back of the head. But then in the movie, for? yeah, but in the movie, um, he's like, uh, you know, don't blame me. And then he goes to Nick and he's like, you're okay with this? He's like, yeah, yeah, let's give it a try. And then he goes to, he goes to Joey. He's like, I'm going to deal with you later. And I'm like, he's yes. not even a part of what's going on right now. But that shows that he wants to, he has this need to always be in control and want, he wants mm-hmm. to be the one to dictate what's what's going on who is sending out who that kind of thing which is why also in the um the eyes nikki scene he's like you know don't do anything first you come talk to me before any deals are made you know right yeah or it's like and then we'll go well what did he say he's like yeah um something with general motors yeah so um now you do this and then one day you can run general motors Right, something like that. And he gets upset when Bob interjects, and he, Mm -hmm. Bob was agreeing that, you know, we'll tell you whatever's going to happen, and then he was like, excuse me, was I speaking to you? Mm -hmm. Mr. Bobby Businessman. And that's the General Motor line, yeah. So I feel like he was, Mm -hmm. he was definitely, even though, structurally speaking, I think um, Frankie, as the character itself, goes through the biggest change, pretty much, because he starts Mm -hmm. at 16 years old ends all the way at whatever age he actually ends the show. But I think more, the more nuance goes to Tommy. Maybe. That could be argued. It's all subjective. Mm. Oh Well, I think that is a wonderful way to wrap up the show. There's so much more we can talk about. And Lucas, we definitely want to have you back for Absolutely. Lucas I'd love, I'd love part to two. Be, I'd love to be on again. Yeah, I can even with the music, with the arrangements. There's so much more to be discussed. So please stay tuned for that. But uh, David, any last words? Like us and follow us. You know, um, <laughs> we're on the, all social um, media platforms. Yeah, we 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 love making this. We're doing it for you guys, and we're doing it for us. But we're doing it for the people. You know the. The ones that, you know, our fans aren't the ones who, our fans never tried to levitate the Pentagon, right? <laughs> we're, we're, it's, um, we're making it for us and we're making it for you guys. So, um, listen to us. With the help of our wonderful guest and audio producer, Candy Greer. Greer. So thank you also for being here. And, uh, thank you, Anchor, for, for, um, for hosting us. And um, uh, follow us on um, Spotify, Apple Muse, uh, Apple Podcasts, wherever you can find podcasts um, at Silhouettes JB Podcasts. Uh, follow us on underscore. Yeah, underscore. That one is important. Uh, follow us on Instagram at at Silhouettes JB Podcast underscore. And tune in for some more fun for some more Jersey Boys. And we'll see you in two weeks. 
Bye. Bye. Bye.